0: It's time for Running Building, the game, the, building game, the game, with Jason and friends, for tabletop design the, the table phone Is it's at the end of the, of the episode, episode,
1: that's when it technically ends. Hello
0: and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, February 8th, and you're listening to episode 454. As always, I am your host, Jason, uh, joined today by special guest for Tessa Elise, designer uh, she worked on *Book of Villainy*, *Wicked and Wise*, and *Mansplaining*, and also a game producer at Funko, which is something very exciting to me. For Tessa, how you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, welcome. I'm uh I'm excited to have you here. Um, this is something we we talked about for a while. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> yeah message back and forth like I think it was like early pandemic when we started messaging and then Mm -hmm. scheduling didn't work out uh for me then didn't work out for you and then finally Mm -hmm. we found a time that worked out great for both of us so yes I'm excited we made it work
1: (laughs) exactly I was looking back at the chain of emails earlier and I was like oh my god yeah this was a a while in the making so right yes yeah
0: yeah no I, I tried especially at the beginning of the pandemic knowing that um you know uh that none of my episodes would be in person and that um and also that uh i you know schedules could go haywire and stuff for for guests not being able to make it or whatever with everything and so i thought well i'm gonna try and plan way ahead Uh, and so for like a few months during the pandemic i was scheduled like three or four months out which is unheard of for me i'm usually like two weeks out tops (laughs) yes
1: top of the organization game
0: yes (laughs) i try i try so uh so um you uh yeah what do you um let's uh let's talk a little bit about um so your work uh as a game producer Mm. so what's what's um what do you what do you do that i know you started that i want to say not too long ago but then again pandemic time it could have been months and months ago i don't
1: (laughs) i'm not sure so i started with funko in um october or very very late september and um for that role, it's kind of like a mix of both project management and game design and game development. Um, so you wear a bunch of hats and and, and mm-hmm. Funko's particular process is totally unique to me uh, because it's very team based in, in that everybody mm. is um, kind of credited with the creation of the game because everybody, you know, puts hands on it. Um, Whether it's assigned to you or not, um, we all come together and and we brainstorm and work on it, work on its development at some point. Um, So it's it's really a cooperative effort. Um, Mm -hmm. So while I have the title of game producer, um, I'm doing a lot of different things that aren't Hmm. necessarily what you would see attached to the role. So that's really cool. Right.
0: No, and I think that's uh, I, I've heard that before um, mm-hmm. from others that I've known that worked there that you, you wear a lot of hats. And, um, you know, when they had said I think it was Chris Rollins had said like every was, we might have been talking about the uh, the Funko Pop games mm-hmm. like that actually came out, the Funkoverse games when they first started coming out. And he said literally everyone here has done something with this game, like every yeah. single person, because um, but I think that one of the things I've always been blown away by the quality of 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 the stuff that you all put out and um uh like especially because it's you see like do a lot of licensed stuff right and Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's even when they were prospero hall before it became you know funko Mm -hmm. um so much of the quality of those games really gave more like more credit and more um more grounding to licensed games right to make them be like Mm -hmm. whoa these are making good licensed games, and that's cool because there was a long time where that was not a thing. Like those two things were mutually exclusive: <laughs> good or licensed, right? right. Um, and I've I've bought quite a few licensed games, and and they've all been uh, they've all been a lot of fun. And so mm-hmm. I uh, um, I appreciate that. I think that's I think that's cool. And I, I think having so many talented people work together a lot, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it has to do with that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask the most important question and then we don't have to talk about Funko anymore, but there's the, mm-hmm. the most important. Cause the one thing I know for sure about anyone that works at Funko is, yeah. and maybe because of the pandemic, you don't have this yet, but you get a business card and mm-hmm. you get to pick, what is it? Three Funko pops to put on your business card. Is that, is that, yeah. So I'm curious <laughs> if you've pictures what your three pops are, and I, I should have told you this at a time, but it just occurred to me as we
1: were talking. <laughs> So I don't know about this business card thing, maybe because it's pandemic times. I'm the first to kind of be hired during pandemic. Um, But I can say that I got a really cool signature. um, And you get to basically pop yourself and make a a Funko Pop version of yourself. And that sticks at the bottom of your sig um, for your email. So that's that's really cool. That's like the first oh, thing Oh
0: that's cool That <laughs> is awesome So it actually gets to be you then
1: mm-hmm. yep. Oh
0: oh, that's super cool
1: Yeah So oh, I I, I think that that is like one of the biggest perks And now Funko has like a thing where you can like actually make a custom Funko Pop um, Only at the Ooh, HQ nice. But yes yeah. yeah, So I, I have plans I have close <laughs> plans I bet <laughs> Awesome. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: so I'm curious you uh have you played anything lately? Have you been playing able to play any games?
1: Yes, I've been playing a lot of games. Um both digitally and like my Kickstarter games have been rolling in and I managed to get my hands on some other games like Calico and Abandon All Artichokes. So Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, those are good. For digital, I've been playing Food Chain Magnet. Um Somebody Mm -hmm. uh, showed me that there's a version of it online, um, and they, like, uh, Splatterhouse made their own, I think it's Splatterhouse, they made their website and they have the game completely on there, and it's free, so... I made an account there and um, I, I had a, a learning game with some friends. Um and ever since I've been trying to get people together and go on there and play it. I'm terrible at it, kind of like terraforming Mars, but it's fun to lose that game. So I right, right.
0: <laughs> I think that's the mark of a truly good game is that you can say, I'm awful at this game, but boy, it's fun to lose this game.
1: Yep. <laughs> And I think that game in particular works for me digitally because I would probably never pick up a physical copy because there's so much setup to it. Um yeah, and it's yep. also more expensive. Um but you know, digitally I can definitely like it's already set up. I don't have to put it up up the pieces and right, right. you know, you just have to know what you're doing. So
0: yeah, no, I know. The same for me. There are games that I certainly would be willing to play in a digital format um, because there's so much less setup, um, and there's so much left to deal with. And, you know, you've got that behind the scenes math that mm-hmm. a lot of the games just take care of. And mm-hmm. that's when you go to play the game in real life again, like even if it's a game you've played before and uh, mm-hmm. you play it quite a bit digitally. It is a rude awakening when you're like, yeah. oh, I have to add, I have to sort this <laughs>
1: stuff out. The game just does this for me. Right? Yep. It's like, you have to it, do this based on player count. No, for right. uh, <laughs> no way. Well, and it's, I
0: think it's, it's easy to forget steps too. Sometimes if you get used to playing it digitally, cause it, it won't let you, mm-hmm. you know, but yep. yeah. Well, that's, no, exactly. that's pretty cool.
1: And well, you don't uh, have to, like, lean over to look at components or anything and, you know, have the light right. glaring down on the card. It's just there. Right,
0: <laughs> right. That's fantastic. And then also, of course, you can play with lots of different people when it's online. Um, I mean, even during non-pandemic times, uh, we, have, we have friends that are far flung and being able to play games with them online is awesome so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's uh i think that's still one of the best things that will have come out of the pandemic is that we've all gotten used to that yeah um and i feel like i've seen especially with with other gamers that it's really opened up uh, Mm -hmm. for them and for myself to say oh i can play more games online with people uh that are Mm -hmm. board games not just video games and stuff so nothing wrong with video games love me some video games but uh (laughs) board games, board games have my heart. So,
1: yes, I, I do enjoy the occasional video game, but usually they're like sandbox games where nobody can tell me what to do and I just pick whatever I want to yeah. do. <laughs> yep. But yes, board games have my heart. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. I'm a big fan of sandbox games as well for the exact same reason. I'm just like, I'm just going to wander around and do what I want to do and <laughs> hope it turns out okay.
1: Yep, Exactly. Even in competitive games, like competitive video games, if I'm playing Smash with my boyfriend and he's just like, are you trying to win? Or I was like, no, I'm really just trying to mess you up. That's it. I get much satisfaction from messing you up. I know I'm not going to win.
0: I love that you're so honest with the answer. Like, no, no, I don't want to win at all. I just want to ruin your day. Yes. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, you uh, you brought uh, a cool topic to talk about today that I'm excited to dive into. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you uh, let you introduce that, and uh, mm-hmm. we're gonna chat a bit about it.
1: Yeah, so I um, wanted to talk about user interface in games because I find mm-hmm. that it's not as often talked about. Um, I think a lot of designers maybe focus on the art in their games or you know just getting it out, but user interface not only makes it easier for people to test your games, um, but it also better filters your feedback. So it's easier to iterate afterwards. So that's what I want to discuss.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And this is a topic that over the years of the show, we've talked about different facets of this, right? And Mm -hmm. every time it's one of my favorite conversations to have because everyone's perspective on it is different and Mm -hmm. I learn new things every time. And we haven't actually talked about this in quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, so I I'm super stoked to hear your thoughts on it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, so, so I'm curious, uh, you know, what, what, I guess, let's start with, you know, what are the things that you do, um, trying to make, make it happen the way you're describing so that it's easier to iterate so that it's easier to play test. Mm -hmm. What What are some of the things that stick out to you as important
1: Uh, so whenever I go into making a game, one of the first things I want to do is make sure my cards are readable. Um, and that goes from, (laughs) you don't use fancy fonts that you can't read. (laughs) No, (laughs) just like pet peeve. It's really easy for someone to say, Oh, I want this to look like zombie, whatever. And you have this big clunk clunky font that is not readable. Um, unless you were the person who put it on there. Um, So definitely picking a simple font, um, sans serif, which is like without the little frills on the sides. Right, right, yes. Um, Arial is a really good um, (laughs) go-to and should be on most computers. But any sans serif is is typically good, something that's not too uh, narrow or too wide. Just your eye looks at it and it doesn't go, what am I looking at? Um, Right, right. The other thing is make sure your colors are contrasted um, and they don't Mm -hmm. cause eye strain. So I typically try and do black font on white background, um, but I find that sometimes when designers get into adding images or, you know, they just want color, they will do like black font on this bright red, you know, background or sit sit the font on top of the image. (laughs) <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's really taxing on the person that's testing your game when their right. eyes are fighting, trying to figure out where they're supposed to look.
0: Yeah. And that's, that is a really good way to describe it. I was thinking the same, like it's, it's, it's fighting for your attention, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you really want to be able to look at a card and know what matters, Um, and, and so many people I think focus on like, how do I make the cards look cool? Right. I used to do this Mm -hmm. too. Like, I'd be like, let's put like a gradient behind it. Like the worst thing ever. Like you can't read (laughs) any of that. Um, but like I've found different text sizes really can make a difference to draw your eye. Mm -hmm. One of the things I try and do in most of my prototypes, if I can, is a lot of times I'll just use like gameicons.net, Right. Mm -hmm. And I will, or the now I have a membership to the noun project. Right. And I, Mm -hmm. I try to put icons on every card. And I basically, I try to make every card that recognizable in several mm-hmm. different ways, right? Like, so I'm going to make the icon green because for me, the color is an immediate, right? Mm-hmm. But also some people color doesn't work. They may be colorblind or some people just don't color, doesn't do it for them. So right. I'm going to make sure it's a different shape because that's going to work for some people, right? Some people, it's the picture that just draws them in. And, um, you know, I, I I've, I, I've found that like when I started designing, I was literally just like text on cards, right? Like text mm-hmm. on cards, and then I got out of that. Like, ooh, fancy, fancy, and now it's just better placed text on cards most of the time with yeah. some icons. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Like placement is so crucial, and it it can be easily over uh, ignored because uh, it it's very simple, and you know it doesn't necessarily play into the images, but. I can tell you that consistency is such a strong element of graphic design because the wow. eye needs to know where to look. Like I find it super helpful to use the same rules that I would apply to a cell sheet to apply to components and cards. Yes. So you want somebody to look at it in two seconds and know exactly what the game is, what, what the information is. And um, you know, be able to act on that in a moment because Say you've got a hand of five cards, you don't want to sit there looking at each card for 10, 15 seconds, trying to figure out what's on there, um, because that's adding to the downtime to the game. And then they don't necessarily memorize the information on the card, so they're constantly sifting through these cards right, adding right. time just by having icons in the same place so they always know where to look at them um having the the card title in the same place and having it organized in a way that you always know where to look in order to see it and that those things are visible um can greatly decrease the time it takes to play your game
0: yeah absolutely and i think one of the other things that you know we try and avoid text blocks whenever possible right but like sometimes you have to have some text right and Um, a couple of the tips I've learned over the years for that is one, if you can make something, a standard text, an icon, just make it an icon. Right. And even like one of the things that I've found that has worked better for me, and I'd be curious to see if this has worked for you as well is Mm -hmm. um, is to actually like, so I have a block of text that has to explain what this card does, but I also have multiple of these cards. So instead Mm -hmm. I give it a name and an icon. And then I give a cheat sheet to the players that lists all those things because then once they memorize that, they don't have to try and read the card every time, right? They can say, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, that's poison. That does this, Mm -hmm. Um, right? Do you try – like has that been positive for you as well, that type of –
1: So, yeah, I definitely try to always have a reference sheet. And I think that also plays to UI uh, because people learn Mm -hmm. differently. And, you know, it also allows you to explain certain elements and and give that player um, the ability to look at that without having to open the rule book every time. Um, For me, with my designs, um, I don't as heavily use icons. um, But in trade-off with that, I often try to make any text, like, one sentence max um yes Yes. (laughs) so um and and that's something that can really help because especially with a lot of card games i'll see people stuff you know three four sentences in there and the text is going sizes from card to card and it's just like this is a huge learning curve and barrier to learning your game it Um, is it is and it's a high investment unless You're, you know, establishing an entire universe a la Magic or, you know, other Mm -hmm. games that make a player go all in. But, you know, every game isn't that. So it's not necessary to put as much text as people try to cram onto the cards. And if you can condense it, I definitely (laughs) so people can really get to the meat of the game.
0: And even like a game like Magic that you mentioned, I mean, while they do have some text-heavy cards, they also use a ton of keywords and iconography, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the bolded keywords so that you can just look that up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and exactly. figure out what that means. Um, but I, I I, do think that like one of the things for me that's been really helpful is... Um, So I make a spreadsheet of everything before I ever make a prototype. Um, There are very limited times when I don't do that. And that's when Mm -hmm. it's a very, very simple game. And I just want to say, does this concept work, right? Yeah. But especially in the last year, everything I've designed has started with a spreadsheet. Um, And what I'll do is I'll put the actual card text on there. And then every time I go back in to make changes, I'll just reread all the card text Mm -hmm. and just try and simplify it, condense it. Uh, can I add a keyword in that I can start to use, you know, so all the things we're talking about here, um, Mm -hmm. because I, I, one of my initial things I did in games was I was, I was just way too wordy. Mm -hmm. Um, it actually always boggles my mind that a game like smash up, which I actually, some people hate it, but I actually, I really like smash up. Um, but like, I look at all the text on some of those cards and I'm like, why do I like this game? Like you have to read a (laughs) lot to understand this game Mm -hmm. and I've introduced it to several friends and they've all really disliked it for that Mm -hmm. reason um but there's just something about it that like is endearing to me yeah but whenever i design a game like that where there's a lot of text like i just get really annoyed with myself it's like this is bad form
1: like (laughs) it works really well for them uh somehow so yeah for sure i think and i think there's a time and a place and and like theme can really help sell why i should read this flavor text or this text Mm -hmm. um But I think there's still, it's a skill to be able to cut down your words and make things concise. Um, So it's definitely something that should be practiced because um, kind of similar to what you do, I have a spreadsheet also whenever I'm um, iterating. And whenever it comes to words, I find it more helpful for me to just even take those actions and put them in a Word document and have them listed like, these are my actions. And then I'll stare at them. It's like, is there a way I can rephrase this while it's still understandable. And then, you know, without any context, I can like copy paste those and, and send it to somebody and say, if you saw this, what what do you think it means? You know, that's real
0: smart. Yeah. That's that's what a great idea for like basically like the simplest blind play test ever, right? Like just mm-hmm. does this make sense to you with just this text. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah.
1: I've seen designers do that. Oh, sorry, what was that? Oh, I just said people will interpret things in ways you would not imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's super helpful. I've seen
0: graphic designers and game designers do that with icons and say, what does this icon say to you? And it's like, with no context? Mm -hmm. Like, who knows, right? (laughs) Like, you tell me it's a game about, like, boating, and then you Mm -hmm. give me a specific icon, I might make some assumptions. But when you just show me an icon... um. Right. I mean, it, literally, it yeah. could be contextually, it could be anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but so that's that's a really good tip uh, for everybody listening to is the idea that, you know, take your actions, get, mm-hmm. get them to where you think they're good, and then just send them to someone and say, what, what do you think this means? Um, it's a lot lower investment than asking someone to read through all of your rules, mm-hmm. um, because like that's that's a that's a big lot of work. and you know, it's a lot to ask someone um, to say, hey, will you my rules? Will you edit them? But even if you're hiring someone, right? Mm-hmm. If you're hiring someone to do that or you've got a friend doing it for you, it's a lot of work for you too, right? Yeah. Because like they're going to go through and they're going to have a ton of questions. That's going to take your time. And if 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 they are, you know, they've never played your game, they're just reading the rules for you and trying to help you edit. Mm-hmm. It's it's not always helpful, right? Like you end mm-hmm. up doing a lot of explaining, which in the end will be helpful, but yeah. that time investment, you know, the closer you can get it before you show it to someone else, mm-hmm. you know, and giving them the small pieces like that, I think saves everyone a lot of time and makes it a whole yeah. lot nicer for everybody, right?
1: Yeah. And what that also does is it allows you to put it in front of people that may be the audience for the game. Because mm-hmm. if I put that in front of, say, a game designer and they go in with the attention to find something wrong, they're going to be looking at it through a lens right. of... I could interpret it this way or that way. Right, but right. if I want like a casual player to play it and I just send it to, you know, a friend or whoever and just, what do you think this means? Okay. They took it how <laughs> I right. wanted it to. Then, yeah. you know, that can help um, because it's, it's super helpful to get feedback from other game designers. But um it is an entirely different perspective and type of feedback um, because yep. it is a lot more targeted. Um, and, you know, they may see something that your audience may not and, and you want to consider both things. So I think that's.
0: Absolutely. Great. Yeah. I, I've mm-hmm. something I've always thought about when playtesting, like you go to an unpub or something, right. Is mm-hmm. you want to get two types of playtests. You want to get the playtest with the general population and you want to get the play playtest with um, with designers, right. And mm-hmm. the feedback most of the time is completely different. They will find different problems. Um, game designers, we're good at finding problems that aren't even there sometimes and creating mm-hmm. them ourselves. Cause we think the game could work a different way yeah. that the designer actually doesn't want to do, which is fair. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's exactly it.
0: That said, game designers also we are good at finding you know thinking of those normal pitfalls right and saying Mm -hmm. oh I wouldn't do this I've done this there's Mm -hmm. here's some trouble I've run into with that exactly so what what do you think I mean like thinking about kind of your your normal pitfalls that you're seeing with newer designers or even Mm -hmm. seasoned designers who just you know, struggle because graphic design, right. Is, mm-hmm. is difficult. Like if you aren't yeah. good at graphic design, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, I'm not good at graphic design. Like I said, I try and keep my designs as clean and simple as possible while readable because that's mm-hmm. what I can do. Right. Yeah. But what do you, what do you think if we're looking at you know newer designers who don't have an eye for that? Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the, the, the main pitfalls you've seen? Um, are, is there anything outside of what we've talked about um, that you're sure. seeing you know, people make mistakes on?
1: Yeah. So um, one that I briefly mentioned, but I want to reemphasize is colors, like putting the yellow text on the white background or the white text Mm -hmm. on the yellow background is terrible for the eyes. Um, And also the size of your font, like just know, especially with digital testing right now. We have the ability to kind of hover over cards and automatically magnify them. And it's going to be an entirely different experience when you print it out and realize that the six point font is not going to work for the average player. and speaking of that, you really want to consider um, when you're looking at font size that you're going to have players of all ranges and all uh, vision capabilities playing your game. Um, so, you know, you want to make it as friendly for any gamer who may be sitting down in front of it. Um, yes, and yes. While maybe, you know, someone with, with, you know, sharp vision may be able to see it at, you know. The, the average font, maybe you just make it a little bit bigger um, so mm-hmm. that it's it's able to be taken in by other people. Um, you mentioned before making it colorblind accessible. So if you're having your your um, different icons, then have colors and icons. And for mm-hmm. those icons, make sure that the shapes are different. So you don't want to have triangles and diamonds. You, you want to differentiate that because <laughs> <Right>. it's... <laughs> very easy for um, some people to kind of get those shapes confused because they're so similar. Um, right, right. Another thing that I see is um, kind of the orientation of the cards. Um, it's it's fine if cards are only oriented one way, but sometimes um, the game requires the other person to be aware of the board or other cards yes. in such a way that it would be beneficial to have Um, kind of double-sided information where they could see it on the flip in some way Um, yes so highly it to me it's highly important to consider the orientation of your components and how people will be sitting around the table um, and taking that in so both with the board and the cards if you can make it where something is visible to the player's across, um, the table, then that's good. Um, and again, shapes, colors help with that. Even if you can't read the text, you can at least see something that's consistent between the components and say, Oh, I know what kind of card that is. Um, right.
0: Two, so two things that jump out at me at that. And so the second one is the second thing I want to talk about is orientation of things on the tabletop. So I'm saying Mm -hmm. that so that I can come back to it and I don't forget because I think there's a really good discussion there. Um, but I, uh, so I've, I've thought about colorblind stuff for, for quite a while now. Uh, I've talked about mm-hmm. it on the show where, um, I didn't think a lot about it just because I didn't, you know, it's not that I didn't care. It's that I didn't understand. Um, mm-hmm. because I, it's just not something I realized. And then met, um, met a game designer, uh, mm-hmm. and a game player who was colorblind and he talked a lot about it. And that was really yeah. helpful because I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, so you can't see these cards. Like that's a problem. And from then on, I was like, okay, I'm in, let me fix this. Yeah. Um, but I, more recently I have a, a, a good friend who's a newer friend within the last couple mm-hmm. years. And when we play games, so he has, I, I think he's technically like, I don't know if he's like legally blind or mm-hmm. I don't think he's actually legally blind, but he, he has really, really um, powerful glasses um, mm-hmm. and still struggles to read. Like he's, he's got like a magnifying thing on his computer at work so that he can read. Right. Um, so reading in games really difficult for him. Right. Um, and I was never aware of just, I mean, I knew that there were people that would have issues with reading some text, but Mm -hmm. what I wasn't aware was, Holy crap. How many games that's a problem with, right? Like I've actually Mm -hmm. started to section off games to say like, here are games. I know he can play with no problem.
1: And like, and he enjoys
0: them. So those are the ones I'll keep bringing back when we have game nights. Yeah. Um, in, 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 you know, with some games you can just make, quick adjustments you know we play this game uh called monikers um, which mm-hmm. is just a silly party game where it's it's like a guessing charade type party game and mm-hmm. and you play on a team and everyone takes turns being the one who has to read the cards and do the things to get you to guess mm-hmm. and we just house ruled and said he doesn't have to do that part <laughs> like right yeah because he's so uncomfortable doing that part because it's you're on a timer right. um and he's like he doesn't have so we're like what if you just he was like awesome he's like because i love this game but i yeah. can't do that one thing Yeah. So you know, making those, but but that said, not every game can you do that with, right? So Mm -hmm. it's really something that's open, you know, open my eyes. No pun intended there. Honestly, I couldn't think of a better thing to say than open my eyes. Um to understanding Mm -hmm. um just how many games can be limiting to someone who really enjoys games, Mm -hmm. um, but has has, you know, really, really bad eyesight.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: So that's been, yeah, that was just that was um, that's something that people really should, um, be considering because I mean, just like there are colorblind game players, right. There are game players of all different vision abilities, you know, and that's yeah. really important that we consider that, um, in lighting conditions can make a huge thing to that. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, he usually actually will pull out his phone and use the phone light to brighten the cards, um, mm-hmm. so that they're easier to read. Yeah. So, so I wanted to point that out. So the other thing, the, the orientation mm-hmm. on the tabletop, I think, is is really key. And this is something that's jumped out at me in the last year playing a lot on Tabletop Simulator. Because mm-hmm. anybody who plays in Tabletop Simulator, which I'm, I'm confident you have, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, probably a lot. Uh, when you enter that room and you see the table, you can see it from all the perspectives, right? hmm And unlike a normal table where you might just sit down... I know myself, I am super conscious of the spot that I pick so that I can see the stupid board in a better way, right? Um, Or if I'm doing like a pitch, I always will say to the publisher, hey, why don't you take this color? Because I know it's the best seat in the house and I want them to have the best seat in the house so they can see the game okay. Um, But it's really now started to jump out like when my wife and I are playing board games. Um, And with two players, it's not as big of a deal, but it really Mm -hmm. has started to be more aware of Oh, wow. Like if you're at the wrong spot on the table, it can be really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so many times because I was setting the game down and teaching it, yeah, I was so familiar with it. It didn't really matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but realizing that it, it really does matter how you orientate that board and just other things within that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, being aware of it is one thing. Um, finding ways to fix it can be a bit more difficult and I I think a bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what are your, I mean, I'm sure you don't have like a magic bullet to fix it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Do you have any thoughts that really pop out to you as, um, as ways to
1: try to manage that? Mm -hmm. Um, so what I've done in, in my game design is if I find that I can't have say double-sided cards um, mm-hmm. I, I try and consider the orientation that cards come onto the table. So um, in a way that makes it easy to take in that information. Um, so if it's like everybody has to play a card, then maybe everyone's playing a card towards the center so that everybody mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. see the, the card, the tops of the cards lined up. Or, right. you know, other ways are, you know, you have a little designated space. And if somebody puts a card to a left, you know, it's that type of card. If it's a card to the right, you know, it's that type of card. So uh, yes, yes. I try to play with positioning that way um, as kind of a, a, a more invisible signal of what you may be playing if you can't actually, you know, see um, the details of the card being played. Um, right, right as far as the others, um, I mentioned before with the colors and the shapes, um, those are super important and, and that's more into the the graphic design, but it, you can do that in a very simple way. Um, even if it's just like giving a card a border, um, cause I know for, uh, Wicked and Wise, I had to differentiate between the, um, the the special cards because they had the same backs as the basic deck that we played with. And I made a red border around them so that you easily knew from across Uh, the table, that card's being played. Um,
0: Right. Right. That's different.
1: Yeah. mm -hmm. So small details like that can help. Um, And and while you may not be able to make it look pretty, then, you know, whenever it's ready for publishing, that's when you can pay somebody to do that for you. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: Oh, that's, i that's promise really good.
1: you if it makes it easy to read and understand your game people are not going to complain about the graphic design and if they do they were going to complain about something about your game anyway. right
0: right 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 they, they, yeah <laughs> graphic designers right they love to complain about graphic
1: design
0: <laughs> they're in the right too but um one of the one of my biggest pet peeves that i've uh i try to stay away from in game design but it can be hard sometimes is um, you know, cause one solution to some of the problem is player boards, right? Mm-hmm. If we all have our own player board that we're playing to instead of a, instead of a central board,
1: uh, mm-hmm. assuming
0: it's more of a solitaire ish type thing. Um, you know, like for instance, like a patchwork, right? You've got the mm-hmm. board in the center where everybody moves around it. And as you kind of move in like a spiral pattern, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what angle you're at, frankly. Yeah. And then you have your player board, which is directly facing you in the perfect angle that you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So that works great. But then there's also the point where player boards can, can have the opposite effect, right? Whenever it's, I need to see what's on Fortessa's player board, and she's sitting mm-hmm. across from me, and, you know, uh, if it's facing you, because it's your player mm-hmm. board, right? Um, yeah. So one of the things that I've tried to focus on is, when I play a card in front of me, like, directing the players which way to play it. So, like, yeah. it's facing yeah. you, right? If my opponent needs to read it, I would rather have mm-hmm. faced you, because I... I should already know what it said because I played it, right? Right. So making it so that it's orientated in a way that the opponent can see it, which in a two-player game pretty much solves the problems, I think. Um, But in a multiplayer game, obviously that still can be a bit of an issue um, because there's always going to be – one of the things that popped into my head was you were talking about getting cards from the table. Like whenever there's – and I have put this in a lot of games, I'll be honest. I love drafting, and you've got like a drafting row, right, which is a very common thing in games someone is going to be in a bad spot if there's more than mm-hmm. 3 players and there's a drafting row right yeah. um because somebody's going to not be able to see it you know from a decent angle they're going to be looking at it upside down um mm-hmm. you know so that's yeah that's double sided cards or double edged cards i guess as it would be um or you know um yeah and that can be that can be a little tricky to design you're right in a way that's mm-hmm. that um that is easy to create um but yeah, even if it doesn't look the prettiest, obviously, yeah. you know, readability trumps everything when it comes to like what is uh, what matters in your graphic design. Right. If you can't read oh, it.
1: Yeah, because yeah. I've seen though, some. Oh, go ahead.
0: I was just saying, even though there are lots of published games where you can't read that at all. And it's like, why? Why did you go with this font? Like, I don't even know what this says.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That drives me crazy. Like, how did this pass testing? Like, who looked at this? Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, there's so much of that. And I've seen cards where, um, like, it'll have different, say, hit point values on there. But the hit points will change depending on the art because it Mm -hmm. is trying to stay in, like, the most boring area of the art instead of, like, having a consistent... Um, spot designated for that, and that would drive me crazy. Yeah, um, when people move their important like game information based on the art, which is superfluous.
0: Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I I agree.
1: <sighs>
0: people. And yeah.
1: As far as uh, <laughs> oh, no, go no, ahead. go
0: ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was agreeing with you. I was just agreeing with you.
1: <laughs> uh, as far as um, other things that that concern like user interface, I wanted to also bring up dexterity um, because that was another thing that it took me a while to pick up on. Um, And you have to consider your audience both in like how they're going to be holding your components, interacting with them. And also like age matters because if I'm making a game where a player is holding 10 cards, but it's for eight year olds, there's going to be a problem because that might Designing be a Designing with lot my kids harder. is what taught me that. <laughs> yes. I can't
0: hold yes. five cards that it's too many. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, you know, for certain age ranges, it's hard to shuffle. Shuffling to mm-hmm. them is just smashing cards together and watching them fall on the table. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's a skill we had to learn eventually. Um, and then there's also like just. Even with how you handle cards, you have to remember how often is the player handling this card. How many times are they shuffling? How many times are they picking this up? Is this something that's easy to pick up? Because I've had games where the tokens are so yep. teensy-tiny it's just like oh, it's awful. <laughs> you spend sixty seconds trying to pick it up, and it feels like a, one of those deck on claw machines, and it's just like oh yeah, my god. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah after like 60 seconds my wife will usually be like do you want me to get that for you with with nails like yes please
1: yes so you know really really sit there and watch how people play it and especially with digital testing it's important to print out these prototypes to see how they physically work because the the sizing can be so inconvenient and it might even Mm -hmm. be that the size is fine but if you've decided to make it like thinner instead of the thickness that you originally went with, that can change it entirely. You know, is, is somebody sighing going to blow the components off of the table? Because that's right. an issue too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that thinking about dexterity and placement is a really big thing, right? Like how not, not like as in like, like a table is lava where I'm throwing the cards, right? Like, You just need to be able to set the cards down and pick them back up again. Gosh, there was a game I played. Oh, what was it? I don't remember. It may have been one of my games actually at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember having to pick up cards from the center of the board Mm -hmm. and hating that because Mm -hmm. it was so hard to do. Um, I wish I could remember what game it was. Um, But anyways, yeah. So it's in, I don't think that a lot of times, um, I don't think a lot of times a lot of publishers I would say don't think about that. You know, and mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the there's a lot of good things about Kickstarter. I think one of the things that is not as great about Kickstarter is um because you get so many games on Kickstarter, right? There are companies mm-hmm. that aren't familiar with they might make a good game, uh, but they don't think about these things, right? Because they haven't made ten games before where they've had problems and you know how to learn how to be better at it, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Yep. And I think that also like when you're really in the weeds of game design and you've been mm-hmm. messing with this game for a year, two years, however long, the cost of the game, the player cost of the game becomes kind of obscure to you. So for you, you're just playing the game and it's the thing you do. And that's how you get to, from point A to point B. And it just makes mm-hmm. sense. But for somebody coming to your game entirely fresh, there's essentially a tax for every mechanic in your game. So every time they have to pick it up, every time they have to read, every time they have to do something in your game, that is a player tax. And, yeah. you know, if you've been in it and paying that tax for years, it can be very easy to um, overlook how taxing the overall um, cost of your game is. So that's important.
0: That's a really, really good um it's a really good explanation of that thinking of it that way as like, it's, it's a tax, right? Like it's, it's something they have to do. Um, that takes, you know, yeah, they can take away from the game after a while. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm sure this has probably happened to you before too, where there are games I don't play anymore because they're such a pain to play. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yes. not that they're not fun. It's just, just a lot of work to play the game. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's like sort this deck, then sort that deck, then shuffle these 12 cards in like, and I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Right. Like, <laughs> or like I can do it, but gosh, if somebody else ever had to do it, like mm-hmm. anyone else I'm playing this game with, if I wasn't there that night, they're going to be really unhappy when they have to put this game together. Right. Yep. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Right. I yeah, definitely, I, uh, organize the games that I buy based off of, is this a game that I'm going to be willing to set up and pay that tax for? Or is this a game that I would yeah. just play whenever somebody brings it out? Cause that's the thing. Right.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, that is, um, yeah, convenience really plays a lot into that, right? Like you know, mm-hmm. what, what is, I don't want to say easier to play, but what is, you know, um, yeah, it's it's kind of like a help me help you thing, right? Like I want to play yeah. your game, but make it so that playing your game isn't so hard that I don't yeah. want to play your game.
1: Yeah, I, uh, course, which is UI. That's, that's exactly right. what UI yeah. is doing is to help other people to help you with playing your right. game. And, and I think that it's also um, one thing you have to consider is that there isn't a set kind of gamer type. I think there are people that right. might say, I prefer this type of game, but they are willing to play this type of game. Right. But if you have a game that is like this high tax game. Um, then that just like puts it in this entirely different realm that they don't want to mess with. So you really want to consider right. how you're narrowing your, your, your demographic. Um, if you don't trim down um, those mechanics mm-hmm. that are taking away um, from your game.
0: And, and I, I want to be clear that, to the listeners that we're not saying that you can't have a game with a ton of pieces no. and a ton of things going on. That's too, that that that's not taxing, right? Like, I think one of the best um, one of the best examples of a game that I looked at and thought, no way in hell am I playing this game, but the only reason I played it is because my friend Chris Kopack said this is a really good game, and I trust mm-hmm. him implicitly to tell me a game is good. Uh, we have like the same tasting games. Uh, it was Taverna de Tiefenthal, which um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever played that or not, um, but like the it, when you look at it, there are like ten million bits and pieces to this game. And the setup just looks awful. And the setup is not the easiest. But mm-hmm. when you get it together, you're like, it's going to take so long. It's going to be so hard to play this game. And then as soon as you start playing, the UI on it is so good that it mm. just all just like melds together. And it feels like you're playing like a super simple game. Um, and so like you can do it. You can do it with the right, you know, with the right UI. Um, mm-hmm. That was That's a Wolfgang Warsh game. And uh, it's just it's it's just so good. It's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. games I've played in the last couple of years, the newer games. Um, I still have not, I don't own it. Uh, I think uh, Northstar is doing a, doing a import of it and reprinting it um, Mm -hmm. in English. Um, uh, And uh, I mean, there is an English version, but it was printed in Germany. And so they're, they've licensed it, whatever, but um, it's, it's going to be weird to get it and have to try and figure out how to set it up on my own. I'm a little nervous about that. (laughs) Um, But the game just really, once you get past that hurdle, it's great. Like, the tax is very Mm -hmm. low, right? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. uh, So it can be done. And I'm I'm sure there are plenty of games you've seen it with as well, right? Where they just do it well,
1: and it just Mm -hmm. flows, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's just like the having lots of pieces that's just one thing and you know for some players that may be a barrier or they may be maybe just what they're looking for because i've seen people who just love the more bits there are the more they want to play it um it's just that it shouldn't be in a necessary kind of fluff to your game if it's something that can be trimmed down because ui is you know how it makes it easier to enjoy but absolutely there can be games and there are great games that have so many components and you know that that easy ui like you just described is what makes it you know so so worth playing and so fun Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and i i think that it comes from my perspective it just comes from being burned too many times by games that when you look at them you're like oh what am i doing what am i getting into and then you're Mm -hmm. like yep this is what i thought it was (laughs) Um, that you get burned enough on that and then you just become really about. It being, um, yeah, you know, just being, you know, like, oh, every game like this is going to be like this when it's mm-hmm. not. That's not the case for sure. Exactly. Um, well, this has been a super duper fun topic. Um, again, uh, you brought up things that I've never considered before. And uh, I love that. I'm sure that our, our listeners felt the same way. But now uh, we're going to have you talk to us about a game. Uh, I have no idea what game we are going to talk about. I didn't ask you ahead of time. So because I like to be surprised. Uh, So, yeah, so uh, go ahead and and pitch us a game here that you're, uh, yeah, a game that you have worked on in some capacity.
1: (laughs) All right. I will pitch Book of Villainy because that one is what will be coming to Kickstarter soonest. So, (laughs) Book of Villainy is a game where you're a villain, but you're not very good at it. So you're writing a book about (laughs) being a villain instead. Uh, You are going (laughs) around this rondelle. Uh, with your henchmen and you are trying to collect these different pages in your book and there's different types of pages um, so that you're trying to put together like a cohesive story so maybe you're trying to get all the same type of pages together maybe you're plagiarizing you know are your chapters in order are a villain after all (laughs) and based on how you arrange the the pages in your book that's going to be how you get your points and whoever has the best book clearly becomes a bestseller and a successful villain. So (laughs) that is book of (laughs) villain.
0: Wow. So um, that sounds really interesting. Um, So what is it? uh, What's the, um, it sounds like it's, it's probably a a lighter game just based on theme. Yes. Um, What's uh, what's the player count on it?
1: uh
0: it's at four players um but might be bumped to five okay so what so two two to two to four yes first you said forward i was like whoa for a later game having to have four players wow
1: bold strategy (laughs) sorry (laughs) two to four
0: (laughs) two to four awesome awesome yeah because that sounds like a game that my wife and i would really enjoy Mm -hmm. um so uh yeah um So you're actually like collecting like the pages, like Mm -hmm. are those like tokens or cards or
1: they are cards uh, with actual flavor text on them. For example, break into a house and don't steal anything. Just leave Legos and syrup on the floor. (laughs) So you've got, did a child break
0: into our house? What happened?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've got these little evil deeds written out, kind of a guidebook for other villains on how to be a good villain. Um, Right. And uh, that's that's the kind of book that you are creating, and we're also making it so that you have a miniature book so you can stuff the cards into the sleeves, and oh, you can read your book at the end.
0: Great! Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic. When is that? When is that coming to Kickstarter?
1: So that should be the end of Q1, um, towards the end of March. It might get pushed a little bit, but it, it, it'll be within that range.
0: Fantastic. That sounds like a lot of fun. And who's um who's publishing that?
1: It's published with Gold Seal Games.
0: Gold Seal Games. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. They
1: just put out Kohaku. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes,
0: yes, yes. Which I see behind you. So yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I have not played that yet, but I'm aware of it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, fantastic. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right up my alley. So I always get excited when the pitch is like, hey, you're gonna be able to get this game soon. And it's like, I want that game. <laughs> Yes, awesome awesome we'll expect that the game now for Tessa has amazing UI because otherwise you know yes <laughs> <laughs> yes yes Looking awesome at well hey thanks again for, for coming on the show and hanging out um, this has been a lot of fun uh, I really enjoyed talking to you in this conversation it was good to actually finally meet you and be yes. able to sit down and chat <laughs>
1: same here thank you for having me on
0: yeah yeah Well, hey, listeners, thank you for uh, listening and tuning in today. Um, If you want to get in touch with us, you can always reach out at buildingthegamepodcast.com. There you can find our Discord channel, which I highly recommend you check out. Discord is awesome. Uh, You can also email us, buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 770 tell btg You can also find us, of course, on the Twitter. That's probably one of the best places, at PodcastBTG, at J.A. Slingerland. Uh, For Tessa, what is your Twitter handle?
1: It is at Fertessa. my name, F-E-R-T-E-S-S-A on
0: Twitter. That's amazing that you were able to
1: have (laughs) just your first name. That's
0: fantastic. It's a very unique name. Uh, That's a great name. But yes, that's also also really great for Twitter handles, apparently. Yes. Um, Awesome. Well, uh, yes, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week. And good
1: night have a good one thanks for tuning in building the game which isn't in friends
0: which isn't in friends building the game building the game which isn't in friends which isn't in friends dial 770 tell BTG. please don't use the email